So you've asked me a thousand times today, how am I doing? Terrible and wonderful. Yesterday I woke up with a giant sty on my eye. While working out with a big rubber ball, I threw it on the ground and it came up faster than I expected and hit me in the chin. I could have cut my tongue off, which would have been appropriate for my last sermon. <laughs> Five days ago, I woke up with sciatica down my left leg all the way to my ankle. Two weeks before that, I had a muscle spasm right under my shoulder, and two weeks before that, a muscle spasm on the middle of my back. So how am I doing? But I am also deeply grateful and excited about the future for Riverside Church and also for the Goyers. One more time, as I shared last week, let me say it again, how grateful Anita and I am for the incredible love and outpouring of generosity over these past, really, 14 years, but especially during this time of my leaving. The party and its over-the-top love and preparation and care and detail and the amazing gift and love offering that you gave to us, the hugs, the words of thank you and love, just, it is so humbling to me, and I am so grateful for it, and I'm also grateful that you've come today. Uh, I hope that if my funeral comes that you will show up then too. There's a, there's a song uh, that I almost had us sing today, and it's, uh, it, it, you're going to have to put up with me singing one more time, so. There's a sweet, sweet spirit in this place, and I know that it's the spirit of the Lord. And that's exactly what it feels like. It is proper, of course, for me to end my ministry with you on Pentecost Sunday, where we can also celebrate with our amazing jazz band, for if jazz is anything, it is certainly inspired, spiritually inspired. And I love the way jazz not only incorporates the, the tune, but it also allows each player to play their part in their own inspired way, yet still always coming back to the melody. And to me, that is such a paradigm of what it means to work together in community. We always come back together in the melody, but the community also gives us the freedom to express our own gifts. And this church at Riverside has done just that for us. I almost titled today's sermon, Spiritual Matters, using the double entendre that it's about spiritual matters, but that being spiritual matters too. But I changed my mind because I started getting itchy about the word spiritual. It has become a sort of saccharine, soft, word for everything that is mystical or un, 
known or beyond our grasp or any kind of relationship or matter that we can't articulate. And, and it's become sort of, my fear was that, you know, the spiritual sense of like shells and crystals and all the other many ways that we can express that spiritualism in our world might get lost in the word. And so I changed it to spiritual matters because I wanted us to clearly define what I think spiritual is all about. Spiritual matters. Spiritual matters. And the reason it matters is because there is nothing spiritual that does not have flesh on it. It's not fleshed out in the world, in the ground, through the people, us, who carry this spirit with us. We are spiritual beings with bodies. We are not bodies with spirits. And as this spirit inhabits our body and ourselves, and as the spirit inspires us and enthuses us and, and, and engages us and breathes into us the very life that makes life worthy, as that happens, we are more alive than ever before. It blows us out of our safe little confines of fear and, and, and phobia. It lifts us to our feet to go out into the world and to connect and to relate and to understand those that we do not now know or understand. It blows us out of our rooms. And that's never more true than in this morning's text. By the way, spirit is not singular. It's always plural, and that's why I snuck in the, in the us in our in our congregational response create in us it's always said me but I think us is probably more spirit is always corporate it's like the northerner who ordered a grit for breakfast in some southern restaurant and the waitress said mister grits don't come by themselves and neither does the spirit. It is a corporateness of it, a body that includes all of us. So the text comes from Acts 2, verses 1 through 13, and may the Spirit of God open us up to an understanding of what this means. When the day of Pentecost had come, literally 50 days after Easter, they were all together in one place. They had gone there because Jesus told them to go and wait and pray together in devotion and worship until something would happen that they would know. And then suddenly, from heaven, there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each one of them. I just can't imagine what that must have been like. And all of them were then filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak. They all began to speak in other languages, the languages that the Spirit gave them the ability to speak. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. It was pluralistic, diverse. And at this sound, the crowd gathered 
and was bewildered. Somehow they heard what happened in their house because each one heard them speaking in their own native language of each. They were completely overcome with wonder. They were amazed and astonished, and they asked, are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? And then, I won't read them all, but Luke lists all of the different nations known to date, even those who had become extinct are listed on this list, the Parthians, the Medes, the Edomites, Mesopotamia, Judea, and so forth, including all the visitors to Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. In our own language, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others said, they're just full of new wine. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, this week I ran into a remarkable 26-year-old woman at a retreat for a board I serve on. Actually, she ran into me. She walked up and introduced herself, and uh, I recognized her name as being the daughter of someone that I highly respect and, and know well. And then during the coffee break, I took her aside and asked her a personal question. I said, if you don't want to answer this question, that's okay. Let me know if it's too personal. She smiled and said, go ahead. I ask her, everywhere I go these days, for people your age, I keep hearing the same moniker. That is to say that you are spiritual, but not religious. She smiled and nodded. And I said, help me understand what that means, for you at least, but as you understand it. And I had already established my stereotype about this because I was stereotypically thinking, well, you know, this younger generation calls themselves spiritual but not religious because it gives them a way to connect to all things without having to sign up for it. They don't have to connect to the institution. They don't have to commit to anything. They don't have to do any work. Stereotype. They can just say, I'm spiritual but not religious. And since I make my living being religious, I have a little defensiveness about that. I will be the first to say so I was asking her openly, what do you think it means? Help me. And she said, you have to understand when I say what I'm about to say, where I'm coming from, I too am spiritual but not very religious. And I nodded. She said, the reason that our generation is this way is because we have been connected to the world like no other generation in the history of our world. Since the day we were born, we had instant access to everything in the world going on. Through the internet, we have access to every piece of information that seems available. Through television, we have instant access to every event that happens. We are connected globally in a way nobody else has been. And so when we say that we are spiritual but not religious, what I think it means is that being spiritual is to claim the fact that we are connected 
to the universal reality of God's creation. By this time, I'm like, preach it, sister. And, <laughs> and, and that we're connected to this universal sense of creation. And the problem with religion is that it's not. That our experience of religion is that it is divisive and tribal. And I am blown completely out of the water because she shattered my whole stereotype. Because she's right. When religion becomes divisive and tribal, it is not living out of the Spirit of God or Jesus Christ. I was all ready to tell her what the liberal Protestant young minister Lillian Daniel said about SBNR, spiritual but not religious. She said, as a product of secular American consumer culture, far removed from community and right smack in the bland majority of people who find ancient religions dull but find themselves uniquely fascinating. The great Protestant young liberal preacher has just laid down some of the most divisive words I have heard in a long time, all in the name of her religion. But what I heard my friend, my 26-year-old friend, saying to me was completely the opposite, that religions find themselves uniquely fascinating too and way too tribal while spirituality is about something that weaves its way through all of us and everything, for indeed all and everything is built on and is enlivened by and is breathed into by the Spirit of God. Everything. We got called back to the meeting, and I wanted to finish the conversation, and if I had had time, I would have shared with her how much I now agree with her and how Jesus all along was about this ministry, that that's what the Spirit of Jesus is all about, the Spirit of Christ, is this incredible moving outward from the small-minded religious stance of his day out into the world where those who were not included are being touched and healed and embraced and welcomed and forgiven. That was Jesus' whole ministry to show the amazing grace of God to all of us. And if we had more time, I would have talked to her about how that is so important that it also holds us accountable to this level of, for lack of any better word, reverence. It's my new favorite word, reverence. And I would have invited her to share with me what she thought that means. And what I think it means is that we own our own place in the world, that we are a little lower than the angels and a little higher than the beasts, but we are not higher than that nor lower than that, that it is a stance of groundedness, of, of humility, of, of awe and wonder, of incorporating this incredible awareness. It's all the words now are mindfulness and awareness and reverence is about just that. It's 
becoming mindful of all of God's amazing creation. If you, if you look at a bird closely or a daisy closely or a child closely or your own life closely and you look at creation closely and you look at the world and your story closely enough, you're aware of it enough, it will bring you to awe and wonder. It's called reverence. And of course, the deep reverence of that is our sense of reverence for the Creator God. That sense of reverence, you see, is what is the ground of all spiritualness. It is the ground upon which the spiritual life is formed, that sense of reverence. It is the ground of of all that makes us who we truly are, that we are made in the image of God to worship, to give praise and to revere everything around us. Those disciples gathered in the upper room were scared out of their wits. They were told something would come and to wait there until it did. And when it did come, there was no timidity about it. It was nothing saccharine. It was not sentimental. If you read the text itself, it was a wind, a mighty wind like a hurricane wind. We all know what that sounds like. And it was tongues of fire. It violently came upon them. And you can just get the sense that whatever it was that came to them lifted them up out of their fear-laden seats, out of their doors of fear to keep all the imposters and scary things out there so that we can stay out of that place into the world where they go out and what do they do? They connect. They connect in such a way that people heard them speaking in their own language and you can do that without even saying words. You're present with them. You're present with them in a way that they know you're present with them and that you understand who they are and where they are. You don't have a cell phone in your hand. You're looking them in the eye and you're listening to them and you're present with them. As a friend of mine says, you sit with them and they heard them speaking their own language and it was the Spirit of God. It moved them. It moves us. And it is grounded in this sense of awe and wonder which stems from reverence. The fact is that God is universally with us. Yet God is also transcendent and holy and hallowed and set apart at the same time. And this sense of reverence this human spirit of reverence, which is what led Moses and Martin Luther King to lead the people out of slavery. This sense of reverence is about meditation and prayer and healing and love and forgiveness. It is about humility. Humility. I've decided that it's time to start a new acronym, R-B-N-R, reverent but not religious. Reverence covers it. Sometimes we don't understand what it means, and so I jotted down a few things of what it doesn't mean just so that we can figure it out in case we're confused. When you tweet 
mocking somebody or some nation or some fact or truth. It's, it's irreverent. When families don't eat together because they're traveling all over the place and have no ritual for food, it's irreverent. If you choose not to vote because you think your vote doesn't matter, it's irreverent to those who fought to bring us liberty to do just that, to vote. If a corporation decides to cut down the ancient trees just to put up a new quick development just simply for the dollar without any sense of loss of those trees, it's irrelevant, irreverent. If you throw your trash out of your car on the road, it's irreverent. If you believe against 95% of our scientists that there is no such thing as global warming and it doesn't matter anyway because the rapture is going to come and it doesn't matter what happens to the world, it's irreverent. If you're a politician or a preacher who claims to know absolutely the mind of God regarding abortion or immigration or when it's time to go to war, it's irreverent. Power without reverence is a catastrophe. Look around our globe. Any religion that sides with a particular political party is irreverent. Playing the lottery is irreverent. Do you know that the more money is spent on the lottery, at least 2015 figures, than is spent on movies, on books, on computer games, on sports events, something, tickets, for $70 billion a year versus $60 billion a year on the lottery. And the reason it's irreverent is because we keep thinking against hope that we will have money without work and it will fix our problems. It's irreverent. It shows no reverence for work. But reverence is different. It's the ground of our spiritual lives and when it takes root, it springs forth the gifts of that. Joy and love and peace and kindness and patience and generosity and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control, something I'm still working on, along with the rest. I wouldn't have loved to have had more time with her to talk about these things, but I didn't. But I have had 14 years with you to talk about it. And so I say to you, Riverside Church, stay reverent. Stay in community. Love each other and also all things in the world, everyone. Continue in your sense of reverence in worship and in music, in stewardship and in your amazing social ministry to those in the world. Your sense of beauty and space and ritual Claim your own spiritual presence with your own soul and your mission as a movement for reconciliation. There's nothing more reverent than that. 
And I have learned a much deeper understanding of reverence by my being here and how it feeds my own spiritual growth and especially through the power of the Holy Spirit that is made real through us being together reverently serving God. So all I can say, sort of at the end, my end-in comes at the end, which is not now. All I can say is that it is all way bigger than we are. And as we continue to go forward reverently led by the power of the Holy Spirit, let us do so with the same inspired cadence as those disciples who were hovering in their upper room until that Spirit came. It moves us.